When Jesus went to Jerusalem for the very last time, a few days before he died, he set a cross on the hill of Mount Olives. There's the Kidron Valley in between, and then there's the Temple Mount. You can still see it today. It's probably 300 yards, 400 yards across, and he's sitting there, and he's just told the disciples that that temple is going to be destroyed. And the disciples ask him this question. They say, Lord, what is the sign of your coming and the end of the age? And Jesus gives a series of things where he speaks about there will be earthquakes and famines of increasing nature. There will be wars, rumors of wars. Kingdoms will fight against kingdoms. But then he finished with this one statement in Matthew 24, verse 14. And he said, the gospel of the kingdom will be preached to the whole world as a testimony to all the nations and then the end will come. That day, my friends, is fast coming. It is fast coming because of what God is doing in accelerating the way the gospel is being scattered and, and cast abroad. With the advent of the computer and what now can be done and satellites, the gospel is being beamed literally in places that no one ever dreamed they could be beamed into. And God is doing amazing things. <clears throat> At this PCPC conference that we're having, they're focused on how do we get the gospel to all the nations. It's exciting to see all the people that are there looking at, thinking about, how do we do this? How can we continue to do this in a better, more efficient, more effective way? Wycliffe Bible translators estimates as closely as they can, they think there's roughly 6,465 languages in the world. There are now gospel messages, or sometimes the whole Bible, but parts in progress in almost 4,000 of those languages. They're on a pace of, trans, of getting parts of the gospel, 300 new translations a year. Their goal and they think they can reach it, is they'll have it done by 2025. The Word of God will be in every language of the world. The Jesus film people, and we'll hear more from in just a moment, in which that film was had its some of its very foundings right here in this church, uh, and the Hunt family that paid for the initial film right here, members of our own congregation, has now been translated into over 1,500 languages, also at a very quick pace. And their estimate is that they will be able to get the Jesus film into 99% of all of the population of the world by 2025. Now, I'm not predicting the end of the world, <laughs> but I am saying it is exciting. We live in amazing times in which God is doing amazing things. <clears throat> and today as we'll look at these passages that we'll read here in just a moment, 
when I was walking through the exhibit hall at the Global Missions Conference. There were 130 ex exhibitors from looking at how to take the gospel to every corner of the world. It was, it's thrilling to see what's going on there. This has always been God's plan. 4,000 years ago, God told Abraham, you will bring a blessing to all of the nations. 2,000 years later, Jesus comes along and now puts that feet to that in a final form in the church. And he says, go into all the world and make disciples. And now for the last 2,000 years, that's been moving forward at a faster and faster pace. We're going to look at how he launched that vision. So if you'll stand with me, we're going to read these passages of Scripture. In John chapter 4, beginning verse 35, Jesus says, Do not say that there are yet four months and then comes the harvest. Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is re receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that the sower and the reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I send you to reap for that which you did not labor. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. And then in Matthew, and Jesus went through all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And then he said to the disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. And then in Luke 10, after this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him two by two into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. You may be seated. And we do give thanks to God. When Jesus launched this, the launching began in probably the most unlikely place that could possibly happen. These three passages are in chronological order. They are to different sets of people. It's a reason uh, we have this repetition. We're told that Jesus selected 12 disciples and he selected them, we're told, for two reasons. That they might be with him. And that means that they would watch him 
They would learn from him. They would listen to him. And then the second reason was, and that they would be sent out. That they would take what they had seen and they would do it. And they would take what they had heard and they would share it to the world. And in this John chapter four passage, the disciples are simply with him. They have not been sent out yet. They're watching him. And so he takes them into Samaria, which to them was a very unlikely place. The Samaritans were distrusted. They were hated by the Jewish people. And because they were half-breeds, and they were not accepted in any way. It would be very much like us being taken into maybe some Middle Eastern country where we would feel, wow, is the gospel not really accepted? We might have tensions and problems here if we mention it. Would would they be friendly to it? But the disciples go, and they realize that they haven't eaten in a while, so... Their concern is we need to provide for that. So they go into the city to find food. And when they come out of the city, they find Jesus speaking to a woman who is obviously a prostitute. She's been married five times and currently just living with a man. It's not her husband. And this is even more an unlikely person in their mind. Why in the world would Jesus be speaking to someone like this? And so Jesus says to them, because he's teaching them, when you look, you would say, this is not a place where the fields would be white unto harvest. But I tell you, I want you to look. I want you to lift up your eyes. I want you to get your eyes above prejudice I want you to get your eyes above fear, and I want you to see that these fields are white under harvest. We don't wait for the harvest. It is always ready. It is always ready. And therefore, I want you to go and to see these people. You see, it is here that Jesus is wanting them to understand Sowing and reaping. That sowing and reaping will always go. And he's implying to them that some sowing had already been done here. Maybe it's his own that he has just done. And he says, I'm going to send you to places where you might not think that it's been sown, but it has been sown. And you will share in that in the reaping. And he says, my purpose in that is so that you can rejoice. That the person who had been reaping and are sowing, and now you that come along to reap can rejoice because the end product of the gospel and its effect is joy. Absolute, incredible joy. It's been my privilege over the last couple of years to have had some more direct contact with the Jesus film. And I've asked my friend Chris McQuirk, he and his wife Leanne uh, operate in one thing in particular, and that is taking families to places where they can see the Jesus film being shown for the first time. A couple of years ago, I asked him if I could bring my two oldest grandsons 
and we flew down to the Mayan Peninsula and joined about 30 other people, other families that were there with their children because I want every one of my grandchildren to see the gospel and people responding to it. And there were several hundred people who responded to the gospel in three days. It was simply over a long weekend. And my desire is to take every one of my grandchildren because I want them to see the impact of the gospel being preached and people who are hungry responding. Grandparents today have been relegated to babysitting. But the Bible very clearly says it is your role to pass on the gospel to your grandchildren. And this is a great opportunity that's there. Chris, would you come? And I want Chris to share a story with you about a people, Karamanjong? The, the Karamanjong people. Karamanjong people, a very unlikely people. And he shared this story with me, and I thought you need to hear this. Well, it's a pleasure to be here. A uh, number of years ago, Paul Eshelman, our former director of the GSM Project, he used, he's a great storyteller, and he would tell this story pretty much everywhere he went. Back in the 80s, he was in uh, an area in Uganda, and there had been a great famine in that area, and lots of people were dying so quickly that in this area that they didn't even really take time to bury the dead. And they just took them outside the town, and, and um, there was this pile of human remains, skulls, bones, and he went over and he picked up two human skulls. And he, he'd tell this story just like this. And he'd hold this skull, he held this skull out and he goes, I wonder if anybody ever told these people about Jesus. So he lined up several men and boys of different ages and he went down the line with an interpreter and asked them, have you ever heard the name of Jesus? And to the very last person, nobody had heard that word or that name. And every time he'd tell that story, I was like, wow, I, we need to take the gospel to those people. And the last kid that he asked was an eight-year-old little boy. And with tears steering down his cheeks, the boy said, sir, if I knew where he lived, I'd take you to his village. He had no idea who Jesus was. Well, several years later, fast forward, I start working with the Jesus Film Project, and I got the funding for a language in Uganda. And I was at a conference, and Paul told the same story but this time he told the name of the people group. I'd never heard him say the name of it, and it was the Karamajong people. Well, I was going to get to go in a week or so to Uganda to show the Jesus film to those people. And the fields were white for harvest. I, wa I stood in the back of a pickup truck overlooking the cab with Emmanuel, who was the voice of Jesus. Uh, some uh, UK missionaries had come and had a handful of believers but there's over a couple hundred thousand of these Karamajong people. They're a tribal people. They're kind of like the Maasai warriors of Kenya. They're hunters. Um, they believe all the cattle in the world belong to them. And so if they steal your cow, it wasn't really yours anyway. It was theirs. And they carry spears and machine guns now. And I stood there and watched with Emmanuel 3,000 people pour into this field and over a 1,000 people come to Christ that night. The fields are white for harvest. Thanks, Pete. Thank you. Chris, um, there is uh, one of the beautiful things in this world is the um, 
the technology that is now speeding this along. And um, we have, I want Chris to show you this. This is, okay. the, this is the Jesus Film Project. We used to show right the film on 35 millimeter uh, projectors. And uh, this is a Jesus Film equipment set. This is our video projector now, size of your cell phone. Um, the screen is, uh, keep holding that, Pete. Screen is this, um, and the poles are over here. It's made out of NFL jersey material. It's stretchy. And you can see the film from both sides of the screen. And the cool thing about this is that you, can, you don't need power. You can charge it with solar, and it's ready to go the next day. Um, speakers. The guy that designed this stuff for us, uh, these are the speakers. They plug it, can fill this room. He, he, he did them, he, this engineer guy did these so well, he was afraid Bose would sue him. So he kind of dumbed them down a little bit. But they are powerful speakers and um, amazing um, capability. This is the battery pack that you charge with the solar. You can, I charged it actually on the way over here with the cigarette lighter in my truck. And um, I didn't know if I'd get to demo it, but uh, it's charged. You can plug it in, solar. Or, or plug it into your cigarette lighter in your car. Um, oh, and oh you want me to tell about this? This is even cooler. This, uh, it, it's not on, but it's a um, Wi-Fi broadcaster that we use in, uh, in the Muslim world or places where it's very difficult to share the gospel. And even a converted Muslim woman could hide this under her burqa and sit in a park, and you don't even know where the signal's coming from. And people get on their smartphone, and there's a Wi-Fi signal, so they go, oh, I'm going to check my email or check my Facebook or whatever. But the only thing they can get is the Jesus film, because that's the only thing that's on here. And uh, it'll, it'll pop up and say, uh, would you like to download a film in, in your language? It, it, it would be in their language. Super cool stuff. And then, oh, it's in my pocket. It's not over here. You can't see, you can't see this. From very far away, I put it on a white card so you could see it. The little black dot there, that's a micro SD card. That contains eight languages of the Jesus film, the entire Bible, audio Bible, and some training material. This is what technology is doing now. I mean, if you got caught with it, I guess you could swallow it if you needed to and uh, get, get rid of the evidence. But God's doing some amazing things. And like Pete said, we, we have audacious goals to finish the task of world evangelization and church planting, and we believe God's going to do it in the days ahead. Thank Thanks, you. Pete. Thank you, Chris. <laughs> One person sowed in a very unlikely place, and another comes along, and 1,000 people come to Christ. Wow. In the Matthew passage that we read, the apostles have now been with Jesus. They have observed him preach, and he's now sending them out. But notice again, it tells us, first of all, what Jesus sees. It says he's looked upon the crowds, and he saw them as hopeless, helpless, discouraged. And Jesus wants the apostles to know that I'm not just sending you out just to preach a message. 
I want you to feel compassion for these people. I want you to understand how hungry they are for something, someone to turn to, some kind of guidance in their lives. And so he tells them, he says, this is a huge job. The harvest is plentiful. And it's going to be so big that when you go out there and you begin to preach, you'll begin to realize that there's so many people who need to hear, and you'll think, why are we just so few? Why are there just 12 of us? So I want to encourage you, earnestly pray for the Lord of the harvest to send forth laborers because there's so many who need to hear. And evidently, they did pray. Because one year later, Luke records for us in Luke chapter 10 that now Jesus sends out 72 in pairs. They were going to go to 36 cities that Jesus was going to go to. This was most likely his last preaching tour. If you look at the evidence of the strategy of Jesus, he literally crisscrossed the nation of Israel and went to every city and village in the entire country or sent those ahead of him to those places. Notice he says that he was going to go. He, then therefore he went and preached in 35 different places before he went to Jerusalem. And there he reminds them of the same thing. He says the harvest is plentiful. In other words, expect a harvest because I have people from every tongue, every tribe, every nation who are going to respond. And you go and preach that gospel and watch and see what I do. And he also reminds them, these 72, this task is huge. It is so big that no matter all the people and places that you go and touch, you will realize you won't be able to get to everybody you want to get to. And they come back in that chapter and they report to Jesus incredible things that God did through them and how many people were responding to the gospel message. A missionary in northern Nepal, way up in the far, far Himalayan range, was laboring alone and wondering, how can I multiply my efforts? He walked all over this area and he counted 94 villages that had never heard the gospel of Jesus, never heard the name of Jesus. And then he heard of the Jesus film. But he thought, how could I, uh, there's no electricity up here, can't get generators up here, how in the world can we do that? And then he heard about this backpack. And they, they now have this in a backpack that you can put on. They're about $3,400 a piece. And he sent word and begged someone, could you get me one of these? And someone said, I'm glad to provide that for you. He walks down the mountain four hours to get to a little tiny village, catches a bus and rides a bus for six hours to another town where there's a train. And he rides the train four hours down to the capital city of Kathmandu 
and then gets on a bicycle that he borrowed and bicycles across the town for an hour, hour and a half to find this person who said they would provide this backpack for him. He received it with incredible joy and told the man, 94 villages will now hear the gospel in the name of Jesus for the first time. And then he goes back four hours on a train, six hours on a bus, and however many hours to climb back up into those mountains to take the gospel to these people. You see, the fields are white under harvest. Now they're going to need training. Now they're going to need people who will come and help them to learn what a church is all about. But that's the next step. The Christian life begins with the gospel being given. I'd like for you to take your bulletin and I'd like for you to open it to this page. This is my favorite picture of all times. This is a woman in Africa who got caught on film seeing Jesus die on the cross. Look at her face. Look at her face. Beaming. She heard about Jesus for the first time. Can you imagine what's going through her mind? Someone died for me. But I have hope for the inside of my life, for all the things that I know that I'm not right with God. There's hope. There's hope. You see, that's the power. That's what Jesus wants you to see. That's what he wants you to look and see. That's why you should receive some mailings of some of these organizations and just get a feel for the power of the gospel because it's working and the fields are white under harvest. From what we understand, there are more people coming to know Christ in Africa than the, than the, the speed of the population. It is incredible. They're wide open to the gospel. But that happened because someone said, I see the fields. And, I, and Jesus has promised a harvest. So I want to go. Our church, Will Francis and Sarah Jane and Marshall Kath and myself went to Zimbabwe a few years ago. And we went way out in the very, very north end of Zimbabwe, which is where there's a lot of animal sacrifice still being done. There's a mountain out there where they still go to sacrifice goats to the goat god. And we threw up a screen, showed the Jesus film. It was dark, no other lights. Next thing we knew, we could just see sea of faces out there. There were several hundred people standing in the dark watching. And when the man who was speaking their language called, if anyone wants to know this Jesus, 200 people ran, ran to the truck where we were. It was thrilling. 
Now, did all those people come to know Christ? I don't know. But they're responding to something. They're responding to hope. Because you see, it's not the outward hopelessness. They, they, they're learning to live and adjust to their poverty. But it's the inner hopelessness. Why am I here? What difference does my life make? Is there anyone that can give me answers? And that's what they want. You see, when you pray as Jesus prays, Lord, please send laborers. When you pray that way, you will feel the way Jesus felt. You will feel his compassion. And when you feel his compassion, you will be motivated to act for the gospel because it is the only way that anyone ever gets free from whatever circumstance they are in. You know, we celebrated Veterans Weekend this weekend. And we have veterans here in this audience that have served our country, understanding that they might have to give their life. And for that, we all are thankful, aren't we? Become a veteran in the harvest of God. All of us can become veterans in the harvest for God. Lift up our eyes, see them. Find some place, some country, some group of people that you can focus on and begin to pray, Lord, raise up laborers for the harvest. He hears that prayer because Jesus himself has told us to pray it. And we know if Jesus told us to pray it, then that is his will. And if we know it's his will, we know he will, he will answer what he wants to happen. And so, on a short trip, we offer so many short trips for, for this. Vacations even in places to look for ways that you can extend the day and just become a part of something going on and pray or send laborers. Last spring, we were challenged by East-West. They said, Cuba is open like it's never been before. Would some of you go? So 10 of us went to Cuba, and literally over 100 people a day came to Christ. They're so hungry. They've been so oppressed. There are nations where you can't even enter, they're so closed, and yet the Christians nearby are saying, give us some of these materials and we'll go. We'll cross frozen rivers to get there in order to take the gospel to people who can't hear. Our disaster relief team offers every other week 48 hours to go down Houston will take over three years to recover. There are some homes that were damaged so bad they've just literally been totally bulldozed down. Members of our own PCA family in Houston. And we go down and take these sheds of help for 48 hours and help them rebuild and clean up. And the neighbors come over and we get to lead them to Christ every time. Incredible. 
The fields are white. The harvest is there. But my friend Jesus himself said, night is coming when no man will be able to work anymore. He is returning. And there won't be any more harvest. And the question is, will we be in the fields? In Dallas? In South Dallas? In Europe? In Asia? In Africa? South America? Where might we be? If you can't go, you can sow. And you can give. But you surely can pray. Lord, help me to see the world like you, Lord Christ, sees the world. And, oh, Father, raise up laborers. Raise up laborers for a mighty army. God wants to use every person here. And any prayer you pray is carefully listened to. There's not a wasted prayer in the entire world because God hears every one of them pray earnestly. And my friends, we may see Jesus come soon. We may. Let's hope so. Let me pray for us. Thank you, Lord Christ, for the beauty of the gospel. For it is the power of God unto salvation, and therefore we are not ashamed of it. But, oh, Father, give us wisdom and give us plans. Jesus himself had a plan to multiply his efforts. And wherever we can see that those efforts can be multiplied, Lord, use us. And we thank you for the privilege to participate. And the amazing thing is that you even bless and reward us if we do. How incredible. Thank you for the privilege to serve you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.